production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Robin Minter Smyers, a partner at Thompson Hine and president of the City Club's Board of Directors. Tonight marks the sixth night of Hanukkah, the Jewish festival of lights celebrating the rededication of the Holy Temple. For many Jews, the ritual lighting of candles takes on special significance this year in the wake of the October mass shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, where 11 worshipers were killed. It's just one of many anti-Semitic incidents making headlines here in the US and across the globe. Last year, the number of anti-Semitic incidents rose by 57%, the largest single year increase on record since 1979, according to the Anti-Defamation League. Incidents of anti-Semitism on college campuses and in schools nearly doubled in 2017 for the second year in a row. Anti-Semitism is also on the rise in Europe. Last year, France saw a 69% rise in anti-Semitic attacks, according to the Anti-Defamation League. And a recent CNN poll found that one in four Europeans hold anti-Semitic views. These views are finding their way into the political mainstream. In parliaments in Hungary, Greece, and Ukraine, Openly anti-Semitic political parties have won representation. It is in this context that we are pleased to welcome today's speaker, Dr. Gunther Yakeli, to the City Club of Cleveland. Dr. Yakeli is a historian and sociologist of modern Europe with a particular interest in the history of anti-Semitism. He's been a visiting associate professor and the Justin M. Druck Family Scholar at the Institute for the Study of Contemporary Anti-Semitism in the Bourne's Jewish Studies Program at Indiana University Bloomington since 2015. In addition to teaching at Indiana University, Dr. Yakeli has taught at Potsdam University and at the Technical University of Berlin. From 2001-2002, from 2011 to 2012, he served as an advisor to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe on combating anti-Semitism. In 2013, he was awarded the Raoul Wallenberg Prize in Human Rights and Holocaust Studies by the International Raoul Wallenberg Foundation and Tel Aviv University. His current research projects include studies on the impact of contemporary anti-Semitism in France and Germany, intergenerational transmissions of anti-Semitic beliefs, and perceptions of the Holocaust. Dr. Yakeli received his doctorate from the Center for Research on Anti-Semitism at Technical University of Berlin in 2011. Ladies and gentlemen, members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming to the stage Dr. Gunther Yakeli.
Good afternoon, uh, bon appétit. Uh, thank you for coming and uh, taking part in this conversation. Uh, thank you, Robin. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you, Gary Gross and the Jewish Federation uh, for inviting me and making that conversation here possible. Uh, I also would like to thank Professor uh, Jay Geller, who brought me to Cleveland, to this wonderful city, I have to say. I'm really impressed. Uh, I came here <coughs> only two days ago. Um, but I'm looking forward to visit more. It's an honor, really, to speak here. Um, I'm thrilled to speak at one of the nation's great free speech forums. I got that from your website, from the City Club's website. <laughs> um, and you and Dan just told me more about this. You have really a, a great history of, uh, of debates here, of free speech, of um, great thinkers in the uh, 20s and 21st century uh, that is really impressive. So it's really a great honor for me uh, to be among you among this, in this tradition. I think a frank and honest discussion and free speech is really what we need in these days um, <clears throat> that is maybe uh, often lacking. I was invited to give a talk about anti-Semitism, the new unease in Europe and the US. And when I got the invitation to speak, I put a question mark behind the US. And that was just two months ago um, when I settled on this title. And that was before the killings of Pittsburgh. The killings in the synagogue of 11 Jews for being Jewish, most of them elderly, made it clear to everyone that today, also in the US, anti-Semitism is a serious threat. So I would not put a question mark anymore. There is a new unease, certainly among Jews, not only in Europe, but also in the US. The number of Jews who believe that anti-Semitism does not concern them personally has decreased drastically. But also many non-Jews are troubled and concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. There's a widespread feeling that this is not a good omen and that is uh, a threat to our way of life, a threat to live with other um, people of different faiths and different origin um, and without fear. Hate crimes in general, but anti-Semitism particularly, um, have a devastating impact on democracies. The main focus of my talk will be on Europe and more specifically on France, Britain and Germany. That is where more than 80% of <coughs> Jews in, in Europe live today. And I will try to answer three simple questions. First, how threatened are Jews in Europe today, or how do Jews in Europe see anti-Semitism? Second, who are the anti-Semites? Or what are different groups of anti-Semites? And third, how does that compare to the United States? However, certainly in this country, but also in Europe, uh, there is also reason for hope. Not all is black and white. European countries today are relatively strong democracies that protect their citizens, including their Jewish citizens. We have been through a long period of peace, and no war within Europe seems to be lurking. This is all very different from the end of the uh, 19th century or 1920s or 1930s. And uh, what few people would have thought possible, in many places in Europe today, we do have vibrant Jewish communities despite the fact, of course, 
that almost all of these communities were destroyed during the Second World War by the Nazis and their collaborators. Even in Berlin today, we have four rabbinical seminaries. Um, there are kosher restaurants and cafes, well, a, a handful at least, but still. Um, there are Jewish schools, including three elementary schools and 13 active synagogues. However, all of these synagogues, Jewish schools, community centers, have to be protected around the clock. All synagogues are guarded by police 24-7. In Germany, this is nothing new. Jewish buildings have been protected by police for decades. These threats, including terror threats, have changed over the years, whereas neo-Nazis uh, have always been a concern, radical left terrorist cells have also attacked synagogues, supposedly in solidarity with Palestinians, but now the largest terror threat against Jewish communities and the largest terror threat in general in Europe uh, comes from violent Islamists, so-called jihadists. Since early 2015, France has taken drastic security measures to protect its Jewish institutions. Synagogues, Jewish schools, community centers, and kindergartens are protected by soldiers with machine guns. And I've personally witnessed that, where uh, children the age from three to six uh, eat like we eat here with heavily armed soldiers in the room. Some of you might remember the horrendous attack against a Jewish school six years ago in Toulouse, the city where my wife is from and uh, where I lived for some years. In 2012, a jihadist came to Ortora school in Toulouse and killed three small children and a father who was also a teacher there. This attack had devastating effects on the Jewish community, of course, in Toulouse, but also uh, across uh, France and even beyond in Europe. Because of the brutality, of course, and also because of the fact that these were children in a Jewish school um, that were targeted. And that meant that Jewish children were not safe anymore, even in Jewish schools where some parents put their children to avoid anti-Semitic harassment that their children had experienced in public schools. Though this was one of the events that made many Jews wonder if their children and grandchildren still have a future in France. And some of my French Jewish friends have been looking at the housing market in Israel ever since. Unfortunately, there were a number of other murderous incidents where Jews were killed for being Jewish. 17 people have been murdered in 21st century Europe for being Jewish. Most of them in France and all of them by jihadists or by people influenced by jihadist ideas. The most recent murder was in March this year. Nurek Knoll, an 85 years old Holocaust survivor, was murdered in her own apartment in Paris. One of the two suspects was a neighbor who allegedly <coughs> shouted Allah Wakbar while killing her. You cannot have guards in front of every Jewish home, but certainly all Jewish community centers across Europe now need protection, uh, which in itself is very sad. In Britain, security measures are more discreet, uh, but very effective, thanks to an excellent cooperation between the Community Security Trust and police. Many attacks have been foiled, but such violent attacks 
um, as shocking as they are, are only a small part of anti-Semitic incidents. Anti-Semitic incidents have risen sharply since the year 2000. In France, in the 1990s, you had about 100 anti-Semitic incidents uh, per year that were registered um, by police. Um, and since the year 2000, it has never fallen below 300, in some years even close to 1,000 incidents. Violent acts have also increased in absolute numbers, but also percentage-wise. Anti-Semitic acts have become more violent in the last two decades. The numbers for the UK also show an increase, but more gradually. Last year, there was a record of anti-Semitic incidents, almost 1,400 incidents, more than 200 of which physical, that is extreme violence, assaults, damages, and desecrations. Each one of these incidents spread a devastating message to the whole community. Jews are targeted for being Jewish, and it could happen to any member of the community. These official figures, of course, reflect only a fraction of the problem. Surveys show that only about 25% of Jews who have become victim of an anti-Semitic incident then do report it to the police or to any other um, authority or organization. That means about three quarters of all incidents go unreported. Surveys about anti-Semitic attitudes in, general, in the general population, such as the recent CNN survey, um, are also not exactly reassuring. They have been on a high level for decades. Depending on the country and how the questions are asked, about 25% of the people in Western European countries believe in a number of anti-Semitic stereotypes, mostly that Jews are rich and control the media, the finances, and the governments around the world. But whatever the anti-Semitic attitudes are, more and more people seem to translate this into action. It is no wonder that the Jewish communities uh, and the leaders of Jewish communities have been increasingly alarmed across Europe. The former chief rabbi in the UK, Jonathan Sachs, for example, said in April this year, there is today almost no European country where Jews feel safe. According to the Community Security Trust, anti-Semitic incidents in Britain have risen to the highest level since record-keeping began in 1984 at an average of four a day. This is not the Britain I know and love. And in France, after the murder of Mireille Knoll, Francis Caliphat, uh, who is the president of CRIF, the umbrella organization of French uh, Jewish organizations, said that anti-Semitism in France has moved, I quote, from the streets directly into the homes of Jewish people. And by this, he had the murderous anti-Semitism in mind that hit Mireille Knoll. In Germany, Dr. Joseph Schuster, head of the Central Council of Jews, said in the beginning of this year, it is part of everyday Jewish life, however, that our institutions are under police protection, Jewish pu pupils are under police protection, and we are increasingly reluctant to make ourselves known as Jews in public. Unfortunately, anti-Semitism has become part of everyday life experiences of many Jews in Europe. Many have personally experienced some forms of anti-Semitism. Surveys show that this is true for about a third of Jews in the UK, in France, and in Germany, the countries where most uh, Jews in Europe live today, 
according to a survey commissioned by the EU agency conducted in 2012 in eight um, countries in the EU with 33% of the almost 6,000 uh, Jewish participants. And 7% of them have experienced personally uh, some form of anti-Semitic violence or threats. So these numbers are staggering, and of course, this has an impact. Many Jews now avoid being identified as Jewish or avoid even visiting Jewish community centers or synagogues because they're afraid of anti-Semitic attacks. But despite all these statistics and surveys, there, of course, are still many Jews in France, Germany, and Britain who are happy to live there, and they feel very French, very British, very German, and this is their country. Uh, and it depends, of course, on a number of factors how much exposed you are to anti-Semitism. So you are, if you're visibly Jewish, if you're young, if you're male, you're more likely um, to be hit by anti-Semitism. Uh, well, let me now come to the second question. Who are the anti-Semites? What is the evidence we have? Well, we have surveys among Jews on the perceptions, on their perceptions of perpetrators, and we have some police statistics where we have some indications uh, about the background of the perpetrators. And of course, we have observations of the media and anecdotal evidence. So in surveys among Jews on perception of perpetrators, we see that this depends on the country. However, Jews in Western Europe, as I said, where 80% where of uh, Jews today live in Europe, say that Muslim perpetrators are the biggest group of perpetrators. Then come perpetrators identified as left, um, and that more or less on the same level as right-wing groups. So that came as a surprise to me, uh, but this is what uh, four different surveys found. In statistics, in cooperation with police, we find only limited information about the background of perpetrators. In Britain, ethnic minorities are overrepresented, but the majority of perpetrators are white. In France, since the year 2000, perpetrators of, um, they have the category Arab Muslim background, form the largest group of identified perpetrators, well before perpetrators who have been identified to be politically of the extreme right. In addition to anti-Semitic acts, there are also anti-Zionist acts that very often target Jews indirectly. We have seen this particularly in Britain, where it went from anti-Israel campaigns on campuses, in academic trade unions and trade uh, units in general, and now in the Labour Party. These organizations have been accused of institutional anti-Semitism and creating a hostile environment for Jews. Part of this is the uh, permanent accusation and suspicion of being a Zionist or pro-Israel, uh, which of course many Jews are. Israel has been important, uh, has been important dimension of Jewish identity over hundreds, over thousands of years. I probably don't need to tell you. Corbyn, the uh, leader of the Labour Party in Britain, has become a symbol of this kind of anti-Israelism, anti-Zionism that has become a threat to Jews. And it's a threat more to Jews in Britain uh, than to Jews in Israel uh, or to Israel. 
Over the past months, we have seen unprecedented developments of Jewish community leaders speaking out bluntly against Corbyn and the Labour Party. This is not only very unusual um, for leaders of British Jewry. Uh, they, of course, very British, so they're rather reserved and uh, usually stay away from partisanship. Um, such alarming messages are completely unprecedented, and nobody would have thought uh, so just a few years ago. Take, for example, the joint editorial of Britain's three leading Jewish newspapers, the Jewish Chronicle, Jewish News, and Jewish Telegraph, wrote a joint editorial in July this year. In itself, a highly unusual event that these newspapers publish a joint editorial. However, the editors say that they see an, I quote, existential threat to Jewish life in this country that would be posed by a Jeremy Corbyn-led government. So why are many British Jews so worried? Let's hear from the Board of Deputies of British Jews and the Jewish Leadership Council. They issued a statement in March 2018. I quote, Jeremy Corbyn did not invent this form of politics, but he has had a lifetime within it, and now personifi personifies its problems and dangers. When Jews complain about an obvious anti-Semitic mural in Tower Hamlets, Corbyn, of course, supports the artist. Hezbollah commits terrorist atrocities against Jews, but Corbyn calls them his friends and attends pro-Hezbollah rallies in London. Exactly the same goes for Hamas. Riot Saleh says Jews kill Christian children to drink their blood. Corbyn opposes his extradition and invites him for tea in the House of Commons. These are not the only cases. He, repeatedly found, he is repeatedly found alongside people with blatantly anti-Semitic views, but certainly, uh, but claims never to hear or read them. Again and again, Jeremy Corbyn has sided with anti-Semites rather than Jews at best, this derives from the far left's obsession, obsessive hatred of Zionism, Zionists and Israel. At worst, it suggests a conspiratorial worldview in which mainstream Jewish communities are believed to be a hostile entity and a class enemy. End of quote. So this gives us some indication already of the rationales, the reasoning of people who might consider themselves as anti-Zionists, but in effect pose a danger to Jewish life. Summing up the main groups of anti-Semites, we have basically three extremist groups. That is the radical left, anti-Zionists, the extreme right, and Islamists. And this is not particularly new. What is new is that ideas from these fringes drift into mainstream and become more popular. So we have that from the uh, extreme right, that we have now a rise of populist party across Europe. Uh, they are in the government in Poland, in Hungary, uh, partly in uh, Austria. In Germany, they had recent successes. Um, and they take ideas from the extreme right. And the main focus is revisionism and uh, to have um, uh, to go back to the history of the Second World War and to trivialize or to diminish the Holocaust, which of course poses uh, a threat um, to 
Jews, but also to democracy, I think. Uh, and those populist party from the, um, from the right, they also, most of them, aim to banish um, circumcision and ritual slaughter, which of course is also a problem for religious freedom and communities, uh, Jews and Muslims, by the way, across Europe. The uh, reasoning of the um, Islamists is, well, Islamists per definition, they want to build a society that is not based on man-made law, but Sharia law. Um, they believe in an eternal enmity and war between Muslims and Jews and Christians. And they see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in religious terms. That is, they see the territory of Israel as Muslim land where Jews should not be in charge. So they are fundamentally opposed to a Jewish state. Of course, Islamists are not representative of Muslims in the European Union. They are uh, a small minority among Muslims, but they're often uh, um, one of the loudest voices. And some Islamist organizations, like the Muslim Brotherhood, have succeeded in infiltrating many of the um, Muslim organizations in Europe, although, as I said, they're not representative for the Muslims who live in Europe. Back to the anti-Zionists and their ideological sources. I give you a recent example of anti-Zionist hate crime that is clearly anti-Semitic. French Member of Parliament, Meir Habib, received a letter at the end of August this year the envelope had a note and white powder in it that led to the closure of a wing of the French parliament, um, the French National Assembly, it had to be evacuated. And the letter read, I quote, fat Zionist pig, you're not French, you do not belong in the assembly, you're only a, a Israeli terrorist with blood on your hands. End of quote. Such hate crimes are not uh, a daily occurrence, but such letters are. Jewish communities in Germany, for example, have received thousands of letters and emails with this kind of content. The anti-Zionist left accuses Jews of supporting the alleged evil nation state of Israel. This is part of an anti-imperialist worldview that accuses Israel, and the US, by the way, of imperialism and colonialism. This goes back not only to the Soviet um, anti-Zionist campaigns in the 1950s, uh, onwards from them, uh, in which Israel and Zionism was demonized with anthemic tropes from the protocols of the elders of Zion. This black and white framing of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict also goes back to teachings by Mao Zedong and Che Guevara. In a supposedly Marxist interpretation, they reinterpreted class conflicts as conflicts between oppressed peoples and oppressor peoples. And parts of this mannequin this black and white thinking has gone mainstream in the left, initially often in parts of the third world solidarity movements. Conflicts are thought primarily now in terms of power structure, where one side is oppressed and the other side is the oppressor. And of course, this comes with the moral obligation to side unconditionally with people that are thought of as oppressed. In any case, for this, but also for more 
I think, psychological reasons um, that have to do with guilt, uh, feelings, national conscience uh, for the Holocaust, but also for other crimes. Israel is not much liked in Europe, at least in Western Europe. Many people project their negative sentiments onto Israel. Between 35 and 40 percent in Germany, Britain, and France of the general population have negative views of Israel. And only between 16 and 90 percent have a positive view of Israel. This is very different in the US. Here, according to recent polls, three quarters of the population have a favorable view of Israel, and 25% have an unfavorable view of Israel. Interestingly, the um, British Institute for Jewish Policy Research, they did a survey about attitudes uh, towards Israel and Britain and found an interesting correlation. The stronger a person's anti-Israel views, the more likely they are to hold anti-Semitic attitudes. Among those holding a large number of anti-Israel attitudes, only 26% do not hold anti-Semitic attitudes. Uh, 86% uh, of those who do not hold any anti-Israel attitudes also do not hold any anti-Semitic uh, attitudes. So what does it mean? It means that at least in the British context, if you find somebody with anti-Israel views, it's very likely that you met a person that also doesn't like Jews. And if you find somebody who's obsessed negatively with Israel, you're likely to have found somebody who's, uh, <coughs> sorry, who's not obsessed negatively with Israel is also probably um, not an anti-Semite. This is at least what the statistics tell us if you believe in statistics. So how does it all compare to the US? And I have two minutes to say that. Uh, <coughs> uh, what's the influence of the extreme right and white supremacism in the extreme left? <coughs> Uh, the extreme left and Islamists. How do they influence the mainstream in the US? It is, has become very clear that white supremacism uh, um, is a serious threat to Jews here uh, for some years now. And I've seen that in my own research looking at um, social media where there are uh, some social media circles where anti-Semitism has become the norm. So there's not even a questioning of that. But we've seen that in Charlottesville, where, where neo-Nazis were marching, Jews will not replace us with a clearly anti-Semitic ideology. And we've seen that, of course, with the recent killing here in Pittsburgh. And I went to the uh, social media that the killer um, used, Gap, to have a look on, on the discussion just after the killing. And the discussion there was, uh, was he a fool because he only killed elderly Jews, or was he right in killing? Uh, the Jews. So that was the discussion that was going on on Gap there. So you see how far extreme that has gone. Um, we have um, not such a populist right, or it can be argued, uh, in the US, but we have a president who um, has not been uh, very good at um, denouncing uh, white supremacism as in Charlottesville. Um, and making clear that this should not be part of a legitimate um, protest or discourse. What about the extreme left? Um, well, we have um, in, the, uh, in the US only pockets of people from the extreme left anyway, but also where anti-Zionism um, as a form of anti-Semitism 
um, is prominent. We have, in, in some universities, we have campaigns um, where uh, Israel is demonized and Jewish students are suspected of supporting this evil state. And a lot of com uh, come um, in, these, in the form of the BDS. So BDS stands for Boycott, Disinvestment, and Sanctions Against Israel. And um, these campaign uh, often slanders Israel. So that's not a form of criticism, but slanders Israel with labels such as settler colonialism, ethnic cleansing, apartheid, imperialism, effectively demonizing Israel. The goal is that the destruction of Israel, or in coded words, to free Palestine from the river to the sea, as a prominent professor from Temple University expressed it recently um, at the UN, uh, one of the founders, by the way, of the BDS, uh, Omar Bagotti, he uh, studied in Tel Aviv, but he wrote an op-ed for a website called Electronic Intifada, and he said, I quote, we are witnessing the rapid demise of Zionism and nothing can be done to save it, for Zionism is intent on killing itself. I, for one, support euthanasia. This is not what I call a search for a solution of peace and improving living conditions for the people who live in Israel and the Palestinian authorities. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to frank discussion. Today, we are listening to a forum with Dr. Gunther Yukeli, visiting associate professor and Justin M. Druck family scholar at the Institute for the Study of Contemporary Antisemitism in the Bourne's Jewish Studies program at Indiana University, Bloomington. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. We welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via our radio broadcast or live stream. If you'd like to tweet a question, please tweet it at the City Club and our staff will try to work it into the program. Holding the microphones today are content coordinator Bliss Davis and marketing and outreach coordinator Julia Wong. May we have the first question, please. Hi, I am Jewish. I have had members of my family perish in the Holocaust and I am unequivocally, very proudly anti-Zionist for humanitarian reasons. I believe that nothing can delegitimize Israel more than Israel's own behavior. And when you talk about double standard, what you're really asking for is for Israel to be judged by a standard that is unlike any other country in the world. Every dictator and tyrannical regime would love to have had um, that, that framework by which to be judged. Um, my question is, what, can, can you give me a couple of examples of what people like me and Jeremy Corbyn could possibly say in criticism of Israel's flagrant and, and very much in your face violations of, say, the Fourth Geneva Convention that you would not consider to be anti-Semitic? Thank you very much for this great question. I think that it's a very important debate to say, okay, what, what are forms to criticize the state of Israel that are legitimate? And I think, um, and if you look at what's at newspapers in Israel, you see a lot of criticism, of course, 
against the government, um, and there is a lively debate. It's a democracy where people criticize the government. Uh, the opposition also is criticized. Everybody criticizes everybody, and that's the way it should be. And it should also be criticized, or possible to criticize, uh, the um, certain actions of the Israeli army, decisions by Netanyahu. The distinction is pretty easy, I guess. It's the question of um, slander or criticism. So um, if we, we have that also in a, in a debate here, if we want to, we can criticize and we should criticize each other. That's what free speech is about, as, as I see it. Not to be free to slander each other, to insult each other. So if it goes, if it's not an insult, if it's not a generalization of, um, of, of all Israelis, um, yeah, then we should be able to, to criticize anything. The question really is slander. And the second thing is, if you, and there's a problem with the term anti-Zionism. I have a problem with the term anti-Zionism because anti-Zionism, uh, it's hard for me to see that as a form of criticism. Because that is the idea, at least that's the way I understand it, but people might understand it differently. That is, if you say you're an anti-Zionist, that includes the idea that you don't want a Jewish state to exist. And that is different from opposition to Zionism before the creation of State of Israel. You now have eight, eight million people living in Israel. So if you say you want Israel to cease to exist, then this puts the people who live there, Jews and also Muslims, in a very uh, difficult situation because a number of organizations around Israel are very hostile to that and you don't know what the threat would be. There are Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, also the Syrian government. Uh, they are waiting for weaknesses to attack not only the state, but Jews, and probably also uh, Muslim citizens of Israel who are seen as traitors. Dr. Kelly, in your line of work, you must get many hardballs. So here's a softball. <laughs> I watched you glance at the clock, and you were very disciplined in bringing your remarks to a close within the roughly appointed time. But I think you shortchanged yourself. Unless I missed something, you didn't give yourself as much time as you might have to talk about reasons for hope. Could oh, you yeah. do so now? Yes. Oh, thank you very much. That is an excellent question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we should talk more about hope. And, you know, when I, just after the, um, uh, the killings of Pittsburgh, I was in, in Bloomington, this small little nice town, Bloomington, Indiana, but we also have students uh, from Pittsburgh that uh, are from the Jewish community in Pittsburgh, and they were devastated. And well, we had a, a wonderful event um, organized in cooperation with the university. The president came and spoke out forcefully against anti-Semitism in all forms and hatred in all forms. There was then in the, um, in the small Jewish community in Bloomington um, that has, I think on Shabbat, usually maybe 30 people showing up on an average uh, service. Um, but then the synagogue was full um, 
just three days after the, or four days after the attacks of uh, people who wanted to show their solidarity. Many uh, pastors showed up and spoke from different churches in town. And so I've seen a lot of solidarity of people who do not accept this form of hatred. And uh, so this is something um, in, in really vibrant democracies that is possible and that I see. The question is, how do we get into this, in the societies we've seen now that are more and more divided and we have more and more uh, closed social circles, like on social media, where people don't interact with each other anymore. They don't get into discussion, so then anti-Semitic norms can get established and are not challenged anymore. But we need to get back into discussion, and that's one of the reasons, really, I really appreciate this kind of forums where we have free speech and we talk to each other in critical ways. Yeah, thank you. There is a lot of hope, and also if you see the, um, many of the uh, leaders, even in Europe, many of the European leaders have understood that the anti-Semitism is a form of hatred that is really a threat to democracy, so they want to fight it. Thank you. Thank you for coming to Cleveland. Uh, my two-part question, number one, you talked about anti-Semitism since the Holocaust, per se. Uh, but from what I understand, it's been existing for 2,000 years. So could you just give us a brief history of that? Second part, I would add, <laughs> <laughs> the question is, yeah. as, as a Muslim, we and majority of the Muslim around the world are totally critical of Saudi Arabia and the prince. And nobody in the Muslim world thinks of that as anti-Islamophobe or anti-Muslim. But the difference between the Jewish community and Israel is that there's very little uh, space between them. And so when somebody, there's very little discussion or uh, uh, criticism of the Israeli government actions or policies and so on and so forth, versus the Muslim community is very anti-Saudi uh, Arabia right now for what they have done to Khashoggi and other things that they do. And I think that creates the sense of the anti-Semitism. I'd like to see uh, your point of view. Yeah, so you've got two questions. So um, the history of anti-Semitism, uh, well, I, I will talk for the next 10 hours, I guess, in a row, <laughs> if you let me. But um, just, I think, an important point here is to say, yes, you're right. There has been a long history of anti-Semitism. And what's important there that anti-Semitism over the centuries has changed in its forms. Right? So in the beginning, Jews, mostly by Christians, were hated because of their religion for Judaism. They said, well, this is not the truth. Uh, this is wrong. This is evil. And then there was, for a long time, and still even some Christians believe that today, that the Jews are responsible for killing Christ. And if you really believe that, so if you think that the Jews have the power to kill Christ that you believe is God, well, who can kill God? It's only Satan, right? So then there is this accusation that Jews are evil. Right? And it has been going on for a long time, and that is still in some, some people still have this kind of thing. So then in the 19th century, 
in Europe, um, there was a shift. People started to say, well, Judaism, anti-Semites who hated Jews, said, well, we don't really, Judaism is not really our concern, but we don't like the Jews because of their race. Right? So they came up with the term anti-Semites, which doesn't make sense. I mean, there's no, there are no Semites. There are Semitic languages, including Arabic, Hebrew, and others. Um, but they came up with this term. Now we use that term. There was a new term. And they proudly said, we are anti-Semites. We have nothing against Judaism, but we don't like the Jews for their race. Right? But that, of course, after the Second World War, after the Holocaust, well, um, that was kind of discredited, right? It was really people thought that what kind of horrors uh, that came. So people don't say that anymore. But those who have these feelings, who don't like Jews, well, they want to express it somehow, right? So I see it rather from that perspective. So you can have, you have different options today to express that. One option is to really replace just the word Jew with Zionists. Then you get away with that, right? So that's one of the forms, modern forms. There are also other forms, but that's one of the forms. You can use uh, if, you're an, if you're a Jew-hater. Uh, to the second question, well, um, there is a, I don't know if I understood, understood that correctly, but of course there is a lively debate among Jews uh, about the uh, Israeli uh, government, uh, what they are doing, what they're not doing, what they should do. Um, so I, I don't see really um, the analogy you're making there. Outside of Israel. Yeah, outside of Israel as well. In, uh, in European communities, not everybody agrees with um, the current Israeli government. Uh, among the Jewish communities in this country, uh, only some like Netanyahu, um, others like some other uh, opposition parties, others don't care at all. You know, it's not because uh, you have a Jewish identity that you are reading Israeli newspapers every day and follow the, um, the, the events there. You, I mean, this is, some have critical views, some, so this is nothing uh, which is not happening. So um, I think that um, there is um, there's a lively debate that should be encouraged. Um, the only problem I have there, as I pointed out previously, if you slander uh, a country, and this is also the case for Saudi Arabia, that if you then say, well, we should just um, call into question the existence of Saudi Arabia, we should wipe it off the map. Well, that is something more than criticism, I guess. But not many people, I, I don't know anybody who does that. In Israel, yes. For Israel, yes. People want to wipe it off the map. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my question requires just a little bit of context. One of the main reasons you were invited here and is stated on the website is that in September, the City Club invited and several universities hosted Alain Pepe, who's a critical Israeli historian, works on politically sensitive research. Uh, his presence here was decried by some in the community, accusing the City Club and the universities of hosting an anti-Semite. Both the City Club and the university faculty rejected this. But unfortunately, this example is not unique. 
you teach at an American university. You must know that we have organizations like the AMCA Initiative, Canary Mission, um, Campus Watch, who wield accusations of anti-Semitism, anti-Americanism, and whatever other anti they can throw in there to shut down speech and criticism, not just among faculty, but among our students, which I think is an exceedingly grave threat. So my question to you is, how do we, on the one hand, deal with anti-Semitism and yet still protect free speech and academic freedom to engage in a political debate? And just as a caveat, if you could explain to me the distinction between criticism and slander and the idea of demonization, which I don't believe has any basis in legal or scholarly engagement. I mean, that, that idea of demonization comes in a book by Natan Sharansky, but there is no philosophical, if I'm wrong, there's no philosophical basis there, no legal basis of demonization, it doesn't exist. But I think we can agree that there could be excessive criticism, but my point is really, you're sitting in the free speech citadel. How do we protect free speech against accusations <coughs> of anti-Semitism, which might be animated to shut down speech? Thank you. Right. Yeah, thank you, that's, that's also a great question. So, um, if, if we try to divert it to another, uh, just for a second, another topic, let's pick like sexism, right? So if some people have sexist ideas, and if I say, well, this is a sexist idea, it doesn't mean that I uh, shut down their right to speak, or that I hinder them, they can speak. If you say something racist, you're free to say that. If you say something anti-Semitic, you're free to say that. It's not because I criticize you, or anybody, or Liam Pape, for saying something that I think is anti-Semitic, that this is a question of free speech. I think quite the contrary. I should be free to say, well, this I think is anti-Semitic, and somebody else should be free to say, no, I think that's not anti-Semitic. So back to Ilan Pape. Ilan Pape, I saw that, and I didn't know what I was going into, and I was really surprised to find that. And Ilan Pape, well, he's kind of, an, well, in uh, some circles at least, known in, uh, in Europe, but he doesn't get any serious invitation anywhere. Uh, he is uh, seen as a nutcase. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into Yeah. But in, in, he doesn't get into any serious uh, discussion because he's seen largely as a nutcase because he doesn't, see, he doesn't seem to um, appreciate facts. And um, <laughs> that, is, that is unfortunately true. What, um, what, where he gets published is in the Electronic Antifada. The Electronic Antifada um, has a history of publishing um, anti-Semites, um, of uh, slandering Israel, of course. Um, what I quoted from uh, one of the BDS founders, um, this, this quote of, um, we included, that he's advocating for Isonasia for Israel, that was published on the Electronic Antifada. So this is where Elon Pape gets published. So I was surprised um, to find um, that he was invited here. But the problem often is, <coughs> And I um, happened yesterday to speak with one of the um, professors who invited Ilan Pape here. So we had a discussion, including with students, 
where one student uh, said that here on campus in Cleveland, there was an event where he felt uh, that um, Zionists were uh, demonized or portrayed in a very bad way, and that was he perceived that as a coded form of Jews, because that was the Zionists are behind the scenes, um, they are governing the world, they are, um, um, they are shaping the policies of the US, and he saw that as a coded form uh, for Jews, which might be the case, may not be the case, but he said that, and he said when that was the event on, on campus, he had a Star of David around his neck, and he took it off because he felt not secure anymore. So I was shocked to see this professor with no reaction. Whatever that is, you have to take those who feel being victim, you have to take them seriously. And then after which you can discuss, okay, was that correct or not? But you have to first take them seriously. And that's what's not, what's often not happening. Right? So we have to see when does that cross a line when people try to criticize Israel, which I think, uh, of course, this is part of democracy that you criticize any government, including Israel, of course. But when it is done in a way that doesn't re uh, leave room for people who do not share your opinion, neg very negative opinion of Israel, who still feel safe, who still feel that they can be heard, that they can voice their positive views of Israel. And that is more and more made difficult. And we've seen that in Britain. We've seen that first in unions, in academic, uh, in unions of academics, where precisely because of that, uh, Jews were uh, pushed out of these uh, academic trade unions um, because they whenever they just were slightly not sharing uh, very hostile views of Israel, they were immensely directly attacked. So this is the danger of it. And we have to be careful. And it's not easy to make the distinction, okay, what is criticism and what is then slander? And I agree, that is not easy. But with this demonization that gives us kind of uh, a tool to see, okay, is that um, really portraying an image of the whole country of Israel, of the whole history of Israel, of all Israelis, that is seen to be bad, and there's no room then for any positive views about it. Is that only black and white thing? And then, this is not okay, I think the likelihood that the motivation for that, and we don't know, we cannot look into people's head, but the likelihood that this obsession then with Israel is anti-Semitic, the likelihood is very high. Today at the City Club, we have been listening to a forum with Dr. Gunther Yakeli, visiting associate professor and Justin M. Druck family scholar at the Institute for the Study of Contemporary Anti-Semitism in the Bourne's Jewish Study Program at Indiana University, Bloomington. The community partners for today's forum are the Anti-Defamation League and the Jewish Community and the Jewish Federation of Cleveland. 
Additionally, we welcome guests at tables hosted by the Center for Community Solutions, the Cleveland Foundation, and the Cleveland Hillel Foundation. We thank all of you for being here today. And that brings us to the end of today's forum. Thank you, Dr. Yakeli. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This forum is now adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC and the Raskin Family Fund, with additional funding from Robert Conrad, Cleveland State University, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.